Hey, it's Lisa Wimberger here. I'm the founder of Neurosculpting and I have helped thousands of people learn really powerful tools to regulate their minds and their bodies, including pro athletes, entrepreneurs, and those with serious stress-based illnesses. So I'm really excited to help you do the very same thing through education and some incredible guest experts. And together, we're going to discover the formula to unlock hope. So welcome. All right. So today we're with Serena Jindal, who is an actress, award-winning producer, and public speaking coach. She's the co-creator and the executive producer of the 2021 Comedy Central feature film, Hot Mess Holiday, which was very funny, um, and co-producer of The Giants, which is an award-winning sumo wrestling docu-series. And some of her other films have been in international film festivals, and she is, has also produced for Netflix India. And just, congratulations, completed her directorial debut with Fight Between Two Worlds, which is about a South Asian MMA heavyweight champ. And what I'm super excited about to talk with you today, Serena, um, welcome. Um, I'm super excited to talk to you about the way you show up for the underrepresented, the way um, you're career path, your artistic path, your executive producer path, your directorial path has taken you um, to serve the underrepresented because I, I don't know, I find that really necessary and hopeful. And I would love for you to jump in and share a little bit about, you know, what even got you into this realm of filmmaking, but also specifically to deal with topics that nobody else is touching. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be yeah. here and connect with you. <laughs> yeah, me too. We have to get into our story too of how yes. Genesis and how we know each other. Uh, yes. In terms of filmmaking, yes. So it started. It started with the love and passion for acting, of course. And when I started 2008, there were very few South Asians doing it. It it felt like there was it felt like high school where there would be this breed of, of classes coming in every year and it, they would trickle in, you know? And so we had what we called the OG class. That's that's the Cal Pens of the world and, and everyone that started with him. And so they were really, they were the trailblazers. And so once we started seeing them doing roles in TV and film, it, it became this 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 door open and it felt like okay maybe maybe I can do it mm. and so a lot of us then started in LA and we started seeing the same people in auditions and there was this camaraderie because there were so few of us going going for it and it was people from of the South Asian descent who were supposed to be engineers and who were supposed to be doctors and and all of that and then switched gears and said, no, I'm going to go for this. Did you have to fight that inside your own family, that expectation that you were going to go in the science route or the, um, you know, proper career path? <laughs> the real job. Yeah. So I, because yes, I studied to be pre-med and then my parents were actually really cool because I, so I, I moved from pre-med to wanting to take the OATs. 
is I grew up wearing glasses. So I thought that was my whole, my whole thinking behind it was I grew up wearing glasses. I should help people who need to wear glasses. That was, that was it. That's wow. (laughs) Talk about running, running with a connection and a theme. I know. Do not make 19 year olds have to choose their careers for the rest of their lives. That makes no sense to me at all. So, so I said, I don't, I don't want to be a doctor, but, but ophthalmologist, I don't want to be a, a regular doctor, but an ophthalmologist could be really cool. Cause I had to wear glasses. So that was that. And so, <laughs> so when I was going to take the year off to study for the OATs, I moved back home after college, I moved to my parents' house and they had moved 30 minutes outside of LA. Mm. So I moved to North Carolina. They ended up moving 30 minutes outside of LA. I'd never, I'd visited LA once before then. And so, had you but, been interested in acting before this and you just kind of were keeping it quiet or was it a known thing or? It's, so I grew up performing in, okay. in plays and then doing Bollywood dances at our, in our local culture center. So I, I always loved performing mm-hmm. it. And even in college, I would watch, I, I had really bad insomnia in college and I, I was really unhappy studying what I was studying and, and the environment that I was in and Anyway, so I would watch all of E! True Hollywood stories of all these actors and just fantasize like, okay, well, they started this way. I remember Ashton Kutcher's was really devastating. He was like such a bad boy. He had a record. And I said, well, I'm, I'm better than him, you know? So if, if he made it, and I was already thinking about these things, even though I had, I had there was no- Amazing that you, you kind of ran with the- I don't want to call it a fantasy because obviously you turned it into a reality, but it was almost like you were you were um, allowing yourself to step out of the box um, and and picture a life that was very, very different from culturally anything that was, um, you know, really around for 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 anybody, any South Asian who's dealing with, you know, that stereotype of I'm, I'm supposed to be the doctor. So. I feel like that's kind of, it's kind of courageous for you to take that leap. Were you, were you nervous your parents weren't going to support that or? Oh yeah. So right before I was going to order my books for the OATs, I thought I there was this sinking feeling and it was, it was just, I, I cannot do this. I do not see myself dedicating myself to science and studying. Okay. So you had insomnia. What other things did you have manifest that told you no? Oh, I I had ulcers, stress ulcers when I was taking orgo, organic, ochem, organic chemistry, insomnia, and oh, depression for sure. I remember I never used to cry as a child. I remember when I was 19 thinking to myself, I couldn't remember the last time I cried. And then and then it just became, oh, I'm upset, anxious, crying all the time now. It's, wow. it's it hit critical mass and just kept and coming pulled over and I couldn't understand I, ju- I just felt really lost and so then but the one thing I couldn't deny was the hell no maybe I didn't know what the yeses were or what anything looked like but I could not deny the hell no's Physically- this is really important because I feel like a lot of us ignore the no because on paper it doesn't fit or on paper the other option is what we're supposed to do it's better it's it's more whatever whatever it is 
we ignore the no. And I, I feel like not enough of us recognize the no until it's too late. I mean, and you had all the signs, right? You had all the physical uh, illness, stress ulcers, all of these things, and you recognized the no. And I think it's really critical that you said you, you didn't know your yes. And I don't think you have to know your yes to be able to start walking in the other direction away from your no. That's so, it. So you tell your parents. So I told my parents and I said, I, I can't do this. I don't, I don't want to dedicate my life to science. And my dad is an entrepreneur and he's, I love the way he frames things and the way he looks at the world. He said, okay, that's fine. He, then he goes, you've got two years, do what you got to do, figure it out. Fly wow. free, you know? Wow. <laughs> and I said, what, okay. What do you, I know you can't really answer this, but if you didn't have supportive parents, what do you think your go forward plan would have been? I would have still gone for it. You would have. Okay. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's like I said, I cannot live a life where I have regrets. Mm. It, there is no way that is just not for me. And I've done everything that I've wanted to do that has been in my power and control all the things I've wanted to go after. I've done it. That's there amazing. are still many things that I want to do, but what some stuff feels like it's out of my control, but whatever I can control, I've done it. So at least I'm not looking back and saying, oh, well, that would be, that would feel horrible for me. You know, I feel also like, I, I mean, you're, you're relatively young to have the mindset of really grabbing life because there's not a minute to waste most. A, a lot of people I know don't get there till much older, till they've had the mortality reality checks. And I feel like for you to have that sense at such a young formative age, you know, coming out of college, um, you you can be that voice for either the underrepresented or those people. I'm I'm guessing. Then we'll we'll go to this in your coaching practice. But I'm guessing in your coaching practice, you're a relatable voice to people. And if you can get them earlier, mm -hmm. imagine how you shape lives. If you don't have to wait for the mortality reality check for you to realize that life is too short. Yes, it's too short. And who? Why else are we here? Why else are we other here? than to live the way that we want to live? Why else? Why? Why? How? Why are we spending every day here, in this school or whatever it is that we're we're all doing here? What else is there? We we cannot live for other people. We cannot deny what's inside of us, and we cannot be blind to what's naturally here for us. What our natural gifts are. What we naturally mm. gravitate towards. Everyone is born with creativity. Mm. Everyone is born with their inner superpower. And it's it's so sad to me to see people holding back because they think they can't do it or because they, this is where it comes in the public speaking coaching, because they feel too nervous or scared or shy or anxious to speak up, to own up to who they really are. And it it takes, it takes a reframe. And the thing that I loved about what you said is, yeah, you don't know, you don't have to know what your yeses are. As soon as you start walking that path, or you start saying, 
no, this is a no, this is a no, this is a no, it opens up, it clears up space because that energy for that no is no longer directed towards the no. And then, okay, now there's space. Now there's potential to work with. And it's not a clean, easy route. You know? no, okay, yeah, let's clarify that. Let's it's clarify. not clean. It's usually messy, confusing as all hell. And uh, and usually while we're in it, we think we're doing it all wrong. And, that we're, that's my, and that we're crazy. At least that's yeah. my experience. Yes, crazy, doing it all wrong. What the hell am I doing? But, but I still always come back to, well, what's the alternative? Right. I never, I never chose the alternative anyway. Mm. So there's, I can always go back to the alternative of getting the nine to five. That is not the place for me. And I know that, you know, that. And I'm not saying anything that I've done has been easy by any means. No, no stuff. I can't way. imagine it being easy. You're yeah. female, you're South Asian, and you're stepping into executive producer and directorial roles representing an underrepresented population i mean none of that has <laughs> yeah. an open door like you <laughs> have to open those doors you have to kick those in and you're you're forging i'm curious and i don't know this but how many other female south asian executive producers and directors are there right now honestly not that many not okay that many. so you you're a rare breed right now yes rare i mean what we did with hot mess holiday is actually was actually historical it was in actually, what way in what way have never been two indian american or even south asian american leads executive producing and starring in a studio film a hollywood studio film that has never happened there have wow. been a mixed lead from, you know, from India or Priyanka Chopra, Mindy Kaling. I don't know if there are both executive producers, but there haven't been two Indian Americans doing that and executive producing. And it was the wow. first studio Diwali movie ever made. So wow. it, it was crazy. There was a lot of firsts. And I think there actually and a lot of pressure, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. There was so much pressure to because it was such a first and because we were piggybacking off of our original pilot, which was Serena and Mel, mm -hmm. that made a splash online for, for women who looked like us and who looked to us to say, oh, finally, finally, we were being seen because there was nothing like that to just show two friends in New York who happened to look like us living their life. The was, was there a moment in your childhood or a movie that did that for you where you saw yourself in the character and thought i can because she can no no and you're doing this you're doing this for millions millions yeah. of underrepresented people just looking at the modern world saying there is a place for me there that's huge yeah and and to to look at that and say Oh, okay. So my story does matter because I am being reflected. I do get to see myself. Yes. yes. It's not, you don't have to have an identity crisis because when you look around in your own environment, you're not reflected back. So it's nice. Yes. <laughs> and, and I love also that you're making cultural nuances relatable across all cultures and mm -hmm. so it's not just for the underrepresented it's 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 bridging gaps that would never be bridged 
any other way. And, and people outside of that cultural framework can appreciate and it's totally relatable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why I, going back to your original question of, of what is it, what drives you, what brings you hope in what you do? And it is exactly this of bridging these, this gap with storytelling. Mm. Once we humanize other cultures, other races, other people who don't look, feel, act like us, we get to understand the core essence of who they are is really similar to the core essence of who I am. Oh my gosh, I see myself in you. Oh, okay. It doesn't matter what religion you are. You're a person just like me. And that, that is what I feel like is, is the key to humanity feeling like a collective again, or feeling like a collective once and for all, however we want. I, I, yeah. Once and for all. I like that. I, Cause I don't know if there ever was a feeling all connected. Um, and certainly now with the world we live in, there's more opportunity than ever to feel that, but there's also more opportunity than ever to create these niche, exclusive, divisive groups. And so the the potency comes in both uh, both sides of the scale. And I I like that you said humanizing um, others is going to bring us into this collective. And th this is actually kind of a theme going in, in, in a lot of my interviews that it ends up going to this place of how do we rehumanize and come together as a collective? And it's funny because I never start with that question, but but all the interviews end up going right there. Really? Wow. Yes. Like how do we humanize and become this one species, right? That's all in this messy, confusing ball of condition of life anyway together. And none of us has it figured out, but we all think the other person does because it looks all <laughs> curated, right? On social media or whatever. Um, okay, so tell me then what you're doing in your coaching practice, because I'm guessing it's pulling these themes right in there too. And 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 who are you helping? So. So what I do is I help impact-driven entrepreneurs and leaders establish themselves as experts in their fields by becoming confident public speakers and confident on camera. What does it mean or feel like to be a confident public speaker? Because I know Pete, this is a huge fear for people and people are like already clamming up thinking about it. So this is, and that's what I love. I take people and I say, give me an hour and you will be transformed. No hyperbole, no gimmick. That is my USP. And that is what I think is my life's work. I know how to get people to ignite the natural part of themselves that already wants to come out. That's just shrouded and clouded in fear and anxiety and conditioning. We get rid of that. And then that voice, that desire that's in there, that's that's knocking, hey, hey, let me out, let me out, comes out. And that person is already there. That person is, is who you are in front of your friends. That person is who you are with your partner. That person is who you are when you're creating. That flow is naturally there. It's just there's a conditioning and there's a fear that comes up when that camera is on, when we're on stage, when eyes are looking at us and it goes to this really scary place and it doesn't mm -hmm. happen. So what I do is in just that first hour, I have, I take people and I show them how, how we move that mental trash out. We create space and then we bring in conscious co-creation, mm. conscious co 
delegation is where you choose, oh, this is what I actually want to tell myself. This is how I actually want to show up. Choosing the story. Yes, exactly. Choose. And that is, so that is what actors do. And so what I do is I take all the acting training that I've had and combine it with the the over $50,000 I've invested in myself in, in mindset training where I did all the Tony Robbins and Bob Proctor and Joe Dispenza. I was there at the workshops with the Oscar winner. And you did the neurosculpting. <laughs> that, I have, and I, yes. And I'm going to talk about that. Because, yeah. yeah. So I did all of those courses. And then what I realized in the courses was, oh, they're just teaching acting training. Holy Isn't shit. that incredible? I feel like... I really feel like actors are such alchemists of energy and storylines, and that's what makes any human their best and their worst self is the storyline and the narrative. And so actors already know how to manipulate those things. So it makes perfect sense. Do you make your clients act or you just do some kind of connection exercises? It's a combination. So it's because of what I learned at those workshops, we learned the power of re of reframe. So it's, it's actually, it's more, I mean, you understand this is more on a neurological level. I'm not saying I'm any sort of scientist or any of that, but they, they taught us these tools and techniques to, to go inside our minds and say, okay, I'm not going to look at things this way anymore. And how do I break up these, these neurosynaptic connections that are, that are forcing me to, to think in a certain direction. No, not anymore. Break those up, create new space and bring in the the new story. Mm. And guess what? That's what actors do. We just weren't, I just wasn't applying it to Serena as a human. So now I'm applying it to Serena as a human and changing my story. It's amazing. It almost feels like, oh, so, so certain schools that have like advanced degrees in psychology um, and mindfulness will make their budding psychologists have to go through therapy. And it seems like in the acting world, it, it could be applied to the self. Mm-hmm. Like you could be working on yourself as you are working on your craft and i feel like so you you see these connections and now you're bringing this out to people because it is how to humanize and humanizing ourselves is the power of that reframe so it's so beautiful to see that the threads of what could be seemingly very different career paths all funnel together for for actually the same purpose yes and the it's it's connection for me. That's what it's, it's what I was saying with storytelling and, and humanizing and getting people to really see each other because that's what brings us together. And mm-hmm. then in public speaking coaching, it's, it's getting people to, to come out and be heart centered and to, to feel who they really are in front of an audience in front of camera, because that's already in there anyway. Tell so- me how you, how you relate to, or get a person to overcome the overwhelming fear of being judged because my guess is that's why we all clam up yes so that is one of them for sure that's a big one so it's interesting because what i noticed was people had very similar patterns coming in the fears were were quite they would they would be in certain categories so it was either i'm not enough of an expert i don't deserve to be up here all these other people do i don't like having the spotlight on me Am I going to sound stupid? And and a lot of it was 
was around the the not deservingness of being there. And so I get a lot of perfectionists. I get a lot of people who are, I have to be so prepared. I have to be so prepared. If someone calls on me on the spot, oh my gosh, it's not okay. You know? And so that fear around being judged, no matter what the pattern is, that's why this works so beautifully. It doesn't matter. We go in and I highlight, hey, this is what's going on. And the thing is, is I'm just guiding it. They're doing all the work. Mm -hmm. And then they see, oh, 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 whoa, this is what's happening. Whoa, now I'm confronted with it. Okay, great. Now it's all there in front of you. Now we choose. Do you want to believe it? Do we, do we want to continue with this story that's been written? And it's been written since you were young because it came out of survival. This we all know. And so do we want to continue with that? And hey, by the way, there's a lot of good that came out of being a perfectionist. It got you to where you are. Mm -hmm. it, it got you your career. Being a perfectionist is great because it means you have high standards. What we want to do is make sure the scales are balanced mm -hmm. and it's not hindering you from being out there because you're so scared. If you aren't perfect, then there'll be backlash. Absolutely. That's where, that's yeah. where we play. So we start to remove that. And then there's this, like I said, there's a sense of freedom. And that's what we were saying before of that's my hell no okay, now there's space and potential. Now, what do I want to fill it in with? And mm. we fill it in with a new script that they and, choose. And that's all choice. So yes. really what you're bringing people out of is um, a passive role in life, uh, out of maybe even victim mentality, and you're moving them towards choice. Even if they have no idea what they're going to choose, you're moving them and positioning them towards choice, which you know, obviously, because because you know the work, the neurosculpting work, that's exactly what my mission is, is to get people to choice outside of their habituated patterns and their histories and their cultural trauma and, and all the things that really do weigh on us as individuals, but we still have that choice. And I feel like that's, you know, you're bridging that with the content of your films, you're, you're bridging that with the audiences you're reaching, and now you're driving that into a personal one-on-one. -on -one. But talk about your journey to do that for yourself, because you said you did all the things. Goodness. Okay. So, so this is where, when I said, hey, it's not been a clean, easy road. No. So in that journey of discovery and going to all these programs, yes, there was a lot of amazing things that came out of it. I made lifelong friends. I learned deep psychology. I learned how to make these connections between the work that I was doing in actress and then how the world around me functioned and how inner psychology worked and was able to create a business out of it that's really powerful and, and works really well. Now, through that process, Things happened along the way, including when I went to Joe Dispenza's workshop, I had never meditated to that degree before. And he gets you to meditate for an hour and then an hour and a half and then four hours. And you are meditating in this large group of people. And he has you do a breathing technique <clears throat> where you're pulling your breath from, you know, from the, from the floor, from your perineum up to shoot that oxygen to your pineal gland to open that up and get you in this state where it's kind of like, whoa, you know, it's it, you yeah, four to, hours of meditation will get you pretty trippy. Will get you pretty trippy. Yeah. The thing is, this type of breath work is really powerful and it is not anything to mess around with. People can feel like they're on LSD when they're doing, I've, I've done breath work in other environments and it is, it is trippy, trippy. And this is just breathing, quote unquote, just breathing. Right, right. But, 
No. I've been there. I know. Yes. yes. So I'm in this group and I don't even realize the level of empath that I am, the level of sensitivity that my body is. And there are people doing in a in this room, hundreds of people, and they're releasing all this energetic trauma. They're releasing all this, this dense stuff. And, and then I'm doing this, this breathing technique that I've never done before. And when I do stuff, I go full in, you know, I'm an Aries and I'm like, let's go. I'm going to be the best breather person Ever. out here. You know, like I'm going to breathe the best. I'm going to breathe so, the air first. Yeah. I'm going to get all the air first and I'm going to pass out first. <laughs> that's what he said was, was good. So, so I get really competitive with it. I probably did it wrong because what started happening was I started shaking like crazy. My head was shaking. My hand, my right hand was shaking and it was shaking only when I was in the meditation. And that was supposed supposedly really good. It was like, oh, your body's releasing and, and it's, you're tremoring like the, like the animals do. So you're letting out trauma that's been trapped in your body. And I said, oh, great. I'm, do I'm doing great. And then I just kept shaking and I shook even outside of the meditations. I didn't stop shaking for 16 hours. Well, the first, the first bout of my shaking mm -hmm. and my neck was so sore. My hand was, I mean, I was like, it wasn't even subtle shaking. It was intense. Mm -hmm. I had no idea how to control it. This was 2017. This was September, 2017. That this happened. And, and it just became more and more potent where I would enter into a room. And if the energy felt, if people were sad, sad or, or really happy, I would start shaking. Mm -hmm. I became so sensitive to my environment. I didn't know how to deal. Mm -hmm. And I tried so many things and it became debilitating. It mm -hmm. was rough because I, there was no rhyme or reason to it. I didn't know when I was going to have a shaking fit. I didn't know how long it was going to last. I didn't know how to control it. I tried so many things. And I got to a place where I was, I was somewhat able to control it, but I was able to control it in a way where my body was still constantly shaking. The deep, con small internal shakes. Yeah. yeah. They were in there and I was holding them down. And as I was holding them down, I had so much tension in my mm -hmm. shoulders, and my neck. And so you and I both danced Zouk, Brazilian mm -hmm. Zouk. And so when I was dancing with the leads, they would always say, oh, you, you have so much tension. And I I couldn't feel it because mm -hmm. I thought I was doing a great job. At least I wasn't shaking, but I didn't, I didn't know that I was tense. And they kept saying this to me and I didn't know how to relax. I physically couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Even though mentally I was fine, but physically I, I had no idea how to relax. And it really drove me crazy. And people were telling me, God, you have tension, you have tension. And I'm watching all these beautiful dancers fluidly moving around. And I'm, I'm thinking that's just never going to be me. Mm -hmm. And and when I did try to relax and surrender into it, I would start shaking like crazy. So I was like, there's, there's you were no releasing the break on the shakes and there was no middle ground yeah. for you. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. It was, it was completely high or low. Mm -hmm. And another Zook dancer told me about you. Mm. She said, there's a Zooker who was struck by lightning. She has the shakes and she learned how to, how to ground herself. And I said, I feel like I've been struck by lightning and I did it myself somehow. That's how I, I feel like I have mm -hmm. this electrical current. Yeah. Running. My nerve endings are fried. My adrenal glands are shot. This is really hard. Mm -hmm. And, and so we met and we did a session 
December of last year, our one year anniversary is, is now actually. Mm -hmm. Oh, so, wow. So cool. yeah. yeah. And, and I thought, you know, I'll try it, whatever. I didn't have much expectations, but I said, fine. And you walked me through the, your, your process. And I laid down and you started talking me through. And in the first six minutes, I felt a profound sense. I still cry thinking about mm. it. A profound sense of relaxation that my body hadn't felt in like four years. Are you going to make me cry? <laughs> it was crazy. I, I didn't know. I didn't remember what muscle relaxation felt like. And I felt my body sigh, a deep sigh of, oh, thank you. Oh my God, I feel safe to mm. be my body again. I hadn't felt that and I hadn't realized how much I was holding because I was just trying to get by and do You life. don't know till it releases how much you're holding. You're holding. Yeah. And that was in six minutes. Yep. I remember that <laughs> session. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, holy crap. Mm. And the session continued. And after that, I hit a new norm, a new plateau mm. where I wasn't constantly shaking. And I could be in this relaxed place and, and not shake. And so we continued our sessions and I, I, I think ever since that first session, I, I just, I just hit this new level. Mm -hmm. And now granted, I do still have the shakes. They are not the same as they were before. And there's still, there's still a process to be had with them. There's still an interesting learning curve, mm -hmm. but my relaxation in my body is completely different. You're I a different dancer too. I'm a different dancer in, yeah. in a short amount of time. Yeah. You inhabited your body differently, but I think, so this goes back to the stories we hold, whatever opened, whatever was moving through you physically, there was also a story around it. The story of, you know, now I'm a high empath or I can't navigate in social situation, whatever the story was, or whatever the story, whatever that experience unlocked, it might've been stories you never ever brought to conscious mind they were just habituated stories and you're reframing them through the process that we did together but you're so poised to reframe that i think you were naturally waiting for something that would invite you to do what you do best which is reframe a narrative you just were doing it out to the world and now you did it to yourself. And I feel like you're taking this same kind of, um, you're going to have these same conversations with your clients at some point where they're going to make you cry because they told you, Serena, you, uh, you, you helped me unlock that. Um, so yeah, I, I remember how receptive you were and also how much of my body memory understood your body's experience and i was like i know what that feels like i can i can help here because i know what that feels like um and this goes i think full circle back to your mission which is this is the human connection 
how do we one-on-one or in large groups get people to understand we are all having the same experience yes and we're having it behind closed doors thinking we're alone and crazy we are so not and that that is once i started investing in myself and going to these workshops that was the key takeaway was oh i'm not alone we all have these same patterns they're just showing up differently and and once we reframe there's that there's that scene in westworld in season one of westworld the the girl character i don't remember her name but the the one with the long blonde hair yes yes so before i went to the first seminar that broke me open i was watching westworld and it seemed like a regular show these androids and they're built in with these stories and they carry out their their play and then i came back after the seminar and i watched i watched the next episode and she took it upon herself to not play the victim role, the one who was getting attacked by the men in every single play that she was doing. And she, and he, and the guy said, how did you do that? And she just looked up at him and she said, I chose a different story. Yes. I rewrote my story. Yes. And I was like, oh, I saw that such a different, I was like, this is it. We have to choose our own stories. We don't have to live with this conditioning. And and I and I started looking at every storytelling and and the way we operate so differently from then on. There's there's a secret message behind mm. every quote. Every in quote unquote enlightened being is saying something to you mm. using these words. That there's there's an inner wisdom that resonates with you, and they're they're pointing to that, and they're saying, look look, look what I'm saying, look what I'm telling you. And it's all pointing the same thing. Mm. I feel like you already gave so many tips, but um, as we're winding down, what's the one thing, if there's one thing, what's the (laughs) one thing you want people to take home from this episode? The one thing I'd say the one thing is believe in you, Mm. believe in who you are, in what you are and what makes you a badass. You are on this planet. The odds of you even being here right now are (sighs) 0.00 something one in a trillionth. It's insane. There's a reason. Mm. We aren't here to live for other people. We aren't here to, to be sad we aren't here to waste our time we're here to to live and to use our gifts and every single person has one so Mm. if not many so believe believe in yourself and just start opening up to it I love that um I always take notes in these episodes because I take these gems and so I'm going to share my gems so that everyone listening can either write these down or chew on them or map these against the things that you're taking from this episode so first one is um you don't have to know your yes but when you know your no that's gold uh we can't live with regrets another one I wrote down was um can't deny what's inside of you that wants to come out Uh, another one was that everyone was born with creativity and that's your inner superpower also storytelling is the bridge that humanizes others 
and that there is a potent power in the reframe and that most of us are all in our own way dealing with not enough self-worth issues, perfectionist, fear of judgment, all these things. These are common threads between all of us. Um, also that you're not alone. And then the, the final, final, which is what you just said, believe in yourself because the, the odds that you were even here at all on this planet are astronomically small. So you better use why you're here. So Serena, how can people get more of you? So I would love for you to follow me on Instagram at Serena Jindal, S-U-R-I-N-A-J-I-N-D-A-L. And I, you will see my public speaking tips on there. You can also go to my website, 10xyourpresence.com. And if you are called to light up that inner badass who wants to be on camera and on stages and sharing your message and your story, because you are so important, I would be more than honored to help. Awesome. It was so, so good to connect with you again. You too. Yes. Thank you. And I yes. love what you're doing on Instagram. I do your your neurogenic exercises while I'm in the bath <laughs> and they are very tough. They're <laughs> they're fun and they're tough. Anyway, Serena, it was so good to see you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Unlock Hope. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we're at Neurosculpting Institute on Facebook, at Neurosculpting on Instagram. You can always reach out to us on our website, neurosculpting.com, and you can download our app, Neuropraxis. Stay well, everybody.